Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. I'm excited that you're here with us today. You know, we live in interesting times with a lot of challenges all around us, and some of those challenges come our way as we lead or live as part of a team. So today, let's talk about how to influence our team and how we can help them open their eyes to the fact that they're filled with immense potential and how we as leaders and parents can create a culture that can change your team or family for good. And as you listen to this podcast, if you like what you hear, please share it with a friend. Word of mouth helps us further our mission. Let's get started. Today, I've titled our discussion, The Culture Effect. Scattered over 270,000 square miles in the Southern Pacific Ocean are 169 islands that make up the country of Tonga. Only 36 of the islands are inhabited, with a total population of about 110,000 people. And 70% of those people live on the main island of Tongutapu. The country stretches 500 miles north to south. And to the north, you'll find Fiji and Samoa. And to the south, New Zealand, which is 1,100 miles away. As legend has it, Maui, the demigod, drew up the Tongan Islands. And those islands were first inhabited by people in 1500 BC. And over the centuries, Tonga has been visited by whaling vessels, explorers, and countless others. Tonga became known in the West as the Friendly Islands because of the congenial culture on the islands and the warm reception accorded to Captain James Cook on his first visit in 1773. In Tonga, Agriculture and fisheries provide the majority of employment. The cash crops are bananas, coconuts, coffee beans, and root crops, such as sweet potato and taro. The country relies on its agriculture to survive. And that's why what happened in Tonga earlier this year devastated the country. It all started shortly before Christmas last year. On a Tongan island 40 miles north of the main island, a submarine volcano named Hunga Tonga Hunga Haapai, the volcano erupted. Not a major eruption, but enough that plumes of smoke were visible from the capital city of Nuku'alofa. The smoke plumes reached 1.9 miles in the air and ash settled on the adjacent volcano island. As the volcanic activity decreased, the Tongan Geological Survey declared the volcano once again dormant, and everyone breathed a sigh of relief. However, it was short-lived. Three weeks later, on January 14th at 4.20 a.m. local time, the volcano erupted again, and this time sending clouds of ash 12 miles into the atmosphere. Later in the afternoon, again, huge explosions from the volcano sent three-mile-wide plumes of ash into the air. And the next day, a larger, more deadly eruption called the Plinian eruption occurred. Plinian eruptions are named after the volcano eruption that destroyed Pompeii. Huge amounts of toxic gases, ash, and debris were sent into the air. 
The eruption column from this eruption rose 36 miles into the atmosphere. That's halfway to space. And a notice was issued to the airlines to reroute airline traffic. Tsunami warnings were also sent out across the Pacific. Now, ash from the eruption made landfall on the main island, blotting out the sun entirely. Loud explosions were heard at the capital as small stones and ash rained down from the sky. And many residents in Tonga were stuck in traffic whilst attempting to flee to higher ground. The explosions caused atmospheric shockwaves around the globe. Intense lightning and storms spread throughout the region. And the tsunamis would kill several people in adjacent countries. Tsunamis 10 meters high were reported and would severely damage a marina in New Zealand. Four-foot-high tsunami waves were reported in Southern California, where several people who ignored the warnings were swept out to sea. And two people died in Peru when the tsunami struck their shore. Atata, a small island off the capital city in Tonga, was reportedly submerged entirely, and most of the island was wiped out. The damages throughout Tonga were catastrophic. Breathing was difficult because of the ash, and almost all of the fresh water supply was contaminated. Now, volcanic ash is made up of tiny fragments of jagged rock and minerals and volcanic glass. And unlike ash created by burning wood, volcanic ash is hard and abrasive and doesn't dissolve in water. It looks and feels like grains of sand accompanied by powdery particles. And eruptions can shatter the solid rock of the magma chamber in the volcano itself. And when these rock fragments are launched into the air, they create an ash cloud. So, when mixed with rain, volcanic ash forms a cement-like sludge that collapses roofs, and does significant damage. And as a result, structures were destroyed on Mango Island. Only two buildings remained intact on Fonoifua, and homes were destroyed and others seriously damaged on Tongatapu's west coast. The undersea cable that carried all communications to Tonga was damaged, so the world had little information as to what was happening. So family members from Tonga all over the world were kept in the dark as to the condition of their family in Tonga. Thousands of people were trying desperately to get word from the islands. Well, New Zealand and Australia sent surveillance flights to assess the damage. Critical infrastructure such as roads and ports and power lines were all impacted. And Tongans overseas organized prayer circles and vigils to support one another as they awaited word. It would take days before information would flow out from Tonga, and even more days and weeks before relief and water would arrive from New Zealand. And it was during these days that Tongans throughout the world came together in support of their homeland. The concept of Anga Fakatonga, the Tongan way, was alive and well with Tongans around the world. This Tongan culture is something that has been passed down for generations and it binds Tongans together. In their culture, Tongans place a high value on lototo, humility, and everyone is expected to be humble, including the king. Tongans look out for each other and respect others. 
Many Tongans may avoid outward signs of wealth or affection. They dressed in modest ways, and they're highly receptive to other people's opinion and behavior. Part of this life approach is often the willingness to apologize and accept forgiveness for one's wrongdoings. Well, months after the eruption, Tonga is slowly rebuilding, and the country itself suffered significant damage, but the Tongan culture has never been stronger. They are proud of their culture and each other. We hear a lot of talk today about culture, the culture of a community or of a team. And culture can guide a team, lead a company to thrive and prosper, or culture can, like toxic ash, choke a team and cause companies to fail or fall. IBM is a good example. In the 1980s, IBM was the king of technology. It was the world's largest computer firm. But over time, the leadership believed the company was invulnerable. They stated that they had a culture of innovation, but that culture was drowned out by stifling bureaucracy in the middle levels of the company. And the leaders of the company were out of touch. And the company was really no longer fast or agile. You see, employees were more focused on keeping their corporate job and conforming than innovating. And as a result, IBM is no longer the leading innovator it once was. On the other hand, culture has been at the core of successful companies like Starbucks or Slack or Zappos or Spotify. So what about your team? What about your family? If asked, could you describe the culture? Do you have a plan of action to influence and direct that culture? Well, here's what I've learned. Most leaders don't understand culture, and they don't know how to diagnose or influence it. And as a result, they pay little attention to it. But culture, perhaps more than anything, guides your organization. As the saying goes, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So you better learn how to guide and change culture. What is culture? Well, it's the unspoken behaviors, mindsets, and social patterns that exist in an organization. Another definition is the values the leaders and team members share, language they use, behaviors they display, connections they establish, and how they engage and interact with each other. My family has a culture, as does yours. And my kids are all grown and married. We have eight grandchildren. And some of our family culture I like, and some I don't. I like that we communicate a lot and celebrate the successes of others and are in close contact. However, I want our family to be a better source of strength for each other, where there's not judgment and everyone feels supported. And I wish that element of our culture could change. Well, how do I do that? Perhaps you're leading a team, and you like that the team has goals and communicates, but perhaps there's this undertow in the energy of the organization that's a bit negative. It erodes faith and prevents your team from coming together. How do you change that? Well, the answer is to influence, to change the culture. Strong culture drives outcomes. And in uncertain environments like those in which we live today, culture can help teams be more agile, loyal, and effective. And here's the big watch out. 
Culture can also be a significant liability when it's misaligned with your strategy or values. And it doesn't matter how dysfunctional your culture may be on your team today, you can improve it with a plan and intentional effort. So, if you're leading a family or a team or an organization, how do you identify the existing culture and design and influence that culture for good? First, the leader, you and I, must open our eyes to the fact that culture has to be led or at least managed. Team culture that is left to happen on its own rarely creates the collective behaviors necessary to reach team goals. So ignoring the situation isn't an option. This means that you must make a deliberate and purposeful effort to define and live the values that create your culture. And few team leaders or parents ever do this, but you can. And you need to have a sense for what the culture is today. So take a few minutes and analyze your culture. Write down the strengths, like your team values or mission. Then your weaknesses. For example, perhaps your team members avoid accountability. Then the opportunities. If you could support each other and lose judgment on your team, would people feel more free to listen and learn? And also list the threats. Meaning if you let negativity continue, for example, you risk losing the faith of new team members. Well, after you conduct this analysis, then get feedback from your team members. You can do this in a couple of ways. A questionnaire and then one-on-one discussions. Now, remember, feedback is important, but don't overreact to one person's feedback. Some people, when they give feedback, are in it for themselves, and their view is limited to their own biases. For example, when I get feedback from our employees, I have to be aware of their view. Perhaps they just want higher pay, but I've learned that high pay doesn't create the right culture by itself. Perhaps they want time off or amazing benefits or other such notions, but those alone do not create the right culture either. So listen, evaluate, and choose the feedback that is most relevant and trusted. You see, the purpose in seeking input is to learn and maybe even unlearn the organization. Look at the culture with new eyes. Use the survey or questionnaire to gather anonymous feedback in a manner that's safe for your team. Ask questions, listen, and if your experience is like mine, things won't immediately be obvious, but you will find clues, and those clues will lead to the answers. In his best-selling book, Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell tells the story of the town of Rosetto, Pennsylvania. The town was settled by immigrants who came from the town of the same name in Italy, and Rosetto had remarkably low rates of heart disease, and this phenomenon was studied by a medical scientist and sociologist. Well, these two researchers went to Rosetto and set up camp. They lived there for months, talking, listening, and getting to know and understand the people that lived there. They discovered that the Rosetta citizens didn't eat healthy, and they didn't exercise more than other people. Yet, despite this, they still had low occurrences of heart disease. And they finally concluded that the lack of heart disease was caused by the closeness of the families and their network of friendships. Their cultural legacy, as Gladwell described it, was 
observed by the researchers. They created powerful protective social structures capable of insulating them from the pressures of the world. And this lack of stress and anxiety helped the people in the town to live healthier. So, like the researchers in Rosetto, you may have to set up camp for a while on your team, maybe even in your family. Watch, listen, and observe. Set up camp. Listen. See if you can uncover some of the cultural behaviors and assumptions that your team members have. You know, recently I started leading a large organization. And here's what I did to listen and get to know the culture. First, I paid attention to the employee survey feedback. It was helpful, but only a little. I then took note of the mid-level and senior managers who seemed to be the influencers on the team, and I talked with them in formal and informal settings. I asked questions. I asked questions like, why are you happy? What makes this place a great place to work? Do you feel connected to our mission? Why or why not? If you could change anything, what would you change? What behaviors do you see that are inconsistent with our values? And so forth. I then kept a journal of sorts of the comments that came my way, and soon trends and themes began to appear. And those trends included the following. I saw a low level of trust existed between mid-level and senior-level management. Senior management didn't always walk the talk. The values of our organization weren't rewarded or emphasized. Mid-level managers didn't feel part of the decision-making. The mission itself wasn't clear, and as I explored these themes, a type of action plan started to form in my head as to how to influence the culture. So, you could do the same. Let's take your family. When was the last time you gave a questionnaire of sorts to your family members? You could ask them, why are you happy? What makes this family a great family to be part of? Do you feel connected to our mission? Why or why not? If you could change anything about our family or our day-to-day living, what would you change? What behaviors do you see that are inconsistent with our values? Now, maybe you don't have a family mission statement and need to get one. Maybe you don't have stated values and you need those. But here's the point. You don't need sophisticated questions or process to simply start listening. Now, once you've done some listening, the next step is to give them an authentic purpose to follow. So be sure your mission and values are properly articulated. They don't have to be impressive to be impactful. Our team values in my organization, for example, include service, gratitude, excellence, and accountability. And there are additional values, but we value team members who are in it to serve rather than in it for themselves. And we believe that excellence is a worthwhile pursuit. And we value team members who are accountable for their performance and eager to be accountable. And as we are coming to know our values, we discuss them, we share stories about them. And as we do that, we can see a gap between our existing culture and the culture our values articulate. And this gives us a roadmap of sorts to follow. So if you're trying to assess and create culture for your family, consider a family mission statement and stated values. Now, our family mission statement includes the following. 
to follow the Lord no matter what, to be a light and not a judge to each other, to love life, to cheerfully, humbly, and willingly pursue our talents, and to live each day with enthusiasm and love. You see, by having this mission statement, we sort of describe the culture that we want to create in our family. And this is vitally important. And once you have a mission statement or values, now you can do a culture audit by identifying the gaps between the behavior you have and the behaviors you want that are articulated by your mission. So consider the right mission statement and values for your family and team. The next step to influence culture as a leader is to consistently share and model your values. People need to hear you talk about the values several times before they start to get a sense for them. And they need to then see you living those values. They need to see what living values looks like. And modeling those values is your job and the job of the senior team members. In my view, nothing's more important than modeling the behavior you value. I've seen a lot of business leaders stop doing what they ask their people to do. They believe they can stop doing the basic activities that create success on the team. These are values like being fully accountable for their own results. You see, some leaders stop showing up for the small things. And the result? Their people do the same. What you do duplicates. So if you want to change the culture on your team, model the behavior. Next, to create a powerful culture in your family or team, they need to know your values are important to you. So you may need to share stories, sometimes change the structure or the symbols to make it obvious that you value that culture. One such example comes from the CEO of a hospital who wanted to reinforce the value of openness and transparency in their culture. He wanted to share his open-door policy where literally anyone in the organization could come in and talk to him about issues that they might be dealing with. And to do that, he had the doors of his office literally removed from their hinges and then hung them up inside the lobby of the hospital so everyone could see them and be reminded of his message every single day as they walked in and out of the building. Jim Whitehurst, who sat on the board of United Airlines, said, At the start of every board meeting, the first topic of discussion is about where the fire exits are, how to access the stairs, and where we will meet up afterwards in case of an emergency. Why would we bother starting every meeting that way? Because United's culture is built on safety. And the best way to cultivate and reinforce that culture is to lead with behaviors and take actions that promote the importance of safety. Another author said, Let's say a group of executives decide that their organization culture needs to become more customer-focused. When you look at the agenda of their meetings, there's no time devoted to discussing how they can improve their customers' experience. And how much time do those executives actually spend out in the field visiting customers, let alone fielding calls from them? If these executives prioritize something other than their customers in their behavior, don't you think the rest of the organization will follow suit? When I was younger, I was trying to make a change in my family's culture. We had teenagers and had gotten in a rut of being negative about things and even to each other. Typical teenager stuff. One day I was reading and attended a training where I learned about the value of being a light 
and not a judge. Being a light and not a judge meant that I was trying to help others by my positivity and trying to be constructive in treating others and stopping entirely judging others for their behavior. So I hired a local artist who painted the words, be a light and not a judge, over my office door. I wanted to hold myself accountable to this value, and I wanted my children to be reminded of it to help them live it. I wanted to get it woven into the fabric of our family's culture. You know, when I was younger, my parents did something similar. They used words, but not words painted on a wall. My parents did the same thing through family prayer. Every day of my young life, my family gathered for prayer. And in these prayers, we prayed for each other, for help, for grace, for understanding. My parents modeled these values. And I learned from their words and actions throughout my life. So, parents, if you're trying to instill values and create a culture in your family, don't wait until your children are grown. Start today. Build a culture on purpose. Do the small and large things necessary and watch. Your children will rise to meet the values you espouse and model. Remember, one of the most important steps to creating a new culture is to connect people to their purpose. So, listen for stories and examples. Use them, share them, and help them become part of your culture. Now, the best example of this is the classic story from 3M, a company known for coming up with innovative new products. The story's about Spencer Silver, one of the company's chemists, who accidentally invented the post-it note back in the 1960s. This story has been told over and over again. Mr. Silver was working on creating a new kind of adhesive and wound up with one that was weak enough to be removable. The problem was he couldn't find a practical use for his new, weaker glue. One day, a colleague realized he could help him by bookmarking the pages on his choir's hymn book without damaging the pages. And soon, post-it notes exploded onto the market, and 3M currently makes more than 50 billion of them a year. Another story comes from FedEx. The overnight delivery service started by Fred Smith back in 1971 in Memphis, Tennessee. In its earliest days, the company was trying to make a name for itself by guaranteeing that any package could be delivered overnight. One of the company's drivers was out late one snowy night in the Midwest to check a drop-off box for any packages. Only when he got to the box, the lock was frozen solid and the key broke off in the lock. After trying in vain to reach the packages inside, the driver finally made the decision to drive to a nearby auto garage where he borrowed a torch, which he used to cut the legs off the box. The driver then put the box in his truck and delivered the box to the airport where a maintenance team was able to drill it open, remove the packages inside, and get them on the plane to their final destination. The point of this story, of course, is that it reinforces that message that FedEx will positively do everything it can to get your package to its destination on time. No corporate slogan could be more powerful in communicating this aspect of the FedEx culture than sharing this simple story. So. If you're leading a team, share stories that exemplify the behavior your team values and share them often. Next, 
Remember that mid-level managers create the culture. You can do all the preaching you want to do as the leader, but it's the people alongside the everyday worker that makes all the difference. So to help your culture thrive, you have to influence and work directly with mid-level managers. They need to be bought in. So get together with them often to talk about the ways to better display, model, and align your culture that you're trying to create. Sometimes people won't come along with you. They won't buy into the culture. And this may be when you need to help those people find another team where they can be happy. Don't let them affect your culture. Hire and recruit people who exemplify what culture you're trying to create. And over time, these managers will influence your entire team. So be very selective about the people you let influence your team. Now, when it comes to creating culture, it's extremely difficult to change 10 things about your culture at once. But it's not too difficult to change one thing or two things. Focus on the most important few things first. Change, any change, requires simplicity. So stay focused on those most important changes to your culture. And then as your culture progresses, your team will then trust you and they can take on the additional changes as needed. And if you want to reduce all of this that we've talked about into one simple model, here it is. One, listen, learn, and determine where your culture is today. Two, define the mission and values that will underpin your future culture. Three, then talk about, share where you're going, and behave and model the culture that you are seeking. And four, establish symbols, structure, and stories to manage and grow your culture. So, as we end today, remember the Tongan way. They've created a culture that is felt around the world. And you, too, can create a culture felt within your organization and beyond. And watch. Soon you will create a culture that will lift your team, your family, or your organization to new heights. Most of all, thanks for tuning in today. And please share this podcast with a friend. They may need the culture effect as well. And we'll see you on our next podcast as we seek to open our eyes to who and what we can become.